0: So uh, I'm excited uh, for you to be here on our new series. It's only a two-week series, but I believe that this may be the most important message for some of you this entire fall. Uh, it, it, it has the potential to be that powerful based on whatever it is that you might have, been, might have gone through in your life. Because we're titling the series, uh, Letting Go and Pressing On. And what we're looking at is that there are things in our past that are hindering our present, that is actually hurting our future. And so we're going to try to deal with some of the things in these next two weeks of our past, so we can actually embrace the present that God has for us, thus setting us up for the future that he has in store for us. And maybe one of those things in our lives is something called labels. So we're going to talk about that a lot. Labels to which you have been given or that you have embraced, which has become part of your identity, that's actually holding you back from embracing what God has for you. Now, when it comes to labels, though, they can also be kind of fun. Labels can be uh, encouraging. They can actually be hilarious. In fact, uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but products that you and I buy, have these things called warning labels. And over the last several years, these warning labels, in my opinion, have gotten ridiculous. It's like, duh, you really have to put that on the product in order to warn people not to do certain things with these products. Let me give you just a few examples. How about on a carpenter's electric drill? This was literally written, this product not intended for use as a dental drill. You're like, really, somebody really took it and said, and some lawyer got involved, So, well, you didn't say it wasn't used for that, so they actually have to put a warning label on a real product. How about on a dishwasher? Do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. You would think that would be common sense, but no, obviously, it's not common to everyone. How about the warning label on a can of pepper spray? May irritate eyes. Yeah, I think that may, may, may just be the case when it comes to irritating eyes. Uh, how about on an iron? Do not iron while wearing the shirt. <laughs> now, I know some of you actually have done this. Let's raise your hands. Come on. Oh, before God. Yeah, a couple of you guys are like, I actually have done this. You're like, I was in a hurry and I was just trying to go, you know, really, really hard. But this is my favorite one uh, baby stroller. Uh, remove child <laughs> before folding. Literally a warning label. Like, yeah, that'd probably be a good idea before you fold it. And then, you know me by now, that I've kind of a warped sense of humor in mind. I said, what if we all started wearing warning labels? What if we actually put something on our forehead that warned people when they came into our presence of what they might be walking into? And so what would be your warning label that you would want to help others to know as they came into your presence? So you can kind of, kind of elbow the person next to you if you'd like to be able to do that. Maybe this would be your warning label. Uh, accidentally makes comments that can be unintentionally offensive. You know, they'd be like, yeah, that'd be kind of nice to know, you know, upon uh, meeting somebody. I love that Some of you guys are elbowing each other. I love this. Uh, well, here's another one. For best results, feed every two hours. That is my teenage son to a T. I mean, if you give him, just give him food every two hours for best results. Maybe this is your warning label. My mood, subject to change without warning. Like, yeah, that could happen. Uh, how about this one? May bite before caffeine. Yeah, uh, how many guys, like, don't talk to me before coffee, you know, in the morning? Uh, yeah, uh, some of you guys, you know, would admit that. Uh, how about this one? Uh, falls asleep, uh, I'm sorry, mouth has no breaks. Mouth has no breaks. Next one, falls asleep when the sun sets. Uh, How about clumsy, watch out? That's just kind of your nature. Uh, This one uh, got my attention. Caution, always optimistic. If you complain, I'll twist it around to yourself to see what you need to learn about you and not change the situation at all. Like, that would be a good warning label. Or one of my favorites, uh, sings along with songs even if I don't know the lyrics. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Now, these are humorous, uh, but most of us, if we're going to be honest, we have some real labels that we have embraced uh, as far back as our childhood, maybe even something recently based on what uh, we have said or done, and it really is hurting our present relationships. It's hurting our present opportunities that may be before us in our career or something that's in front of us. It's also hurting our our potential present relationship with God. These labels, or the ownership of them, is what's holding us back today. And yet there's a powerful verse in our Bibles, and if you were going to memorize a verse this week, this would be the verse I would encourage you, and this is going to be our foundational verse for the next two weeks. The Apostle Paul, who wrote that book that we just finished last week, called 1 Corinthians, we called it Uncommon, also says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. So those are acts I need to do in the present. I need to forget past, strain forward in the present to be able to receive what God has in store for me. So my question for you, and maybe this is a question you need to talk about in your life groups this week or even on the car on the way home, what labels have you been given that still have a hold on you today? What labels have you kind of received? What was it that a parent said to you? Could have been a teacher, a sibling, friends. Maybe you wear the label because someone said, you're so insecure, and they said it over and over and over, you embrace that. Maybe it was somebody said, you can't commit, you're lazy, you're a party person, you're irresponsible, you're overly sensitive. You were told this over and over, and you know, as children, if you are said something over and over, you begin to believe, and then you begin to act out on that belief. And for many of us, we've carried it most of our lives. Either things that have been done to us, or things that we have done. I'll be honest, uh, growing up uh, in my household, my older brother and younger brother uh, just seemed to get A's on a regular basis, and I seemed to struggle in school. And being brothers, as brothers tend to do, whenever we get in verbal altercations or fights, their trump card would be, well, at least I'm not an idiot, at least I'm not dumb. And they said this over and over and over. What we didn't know is back then, I found out when I was fifth and sixth grade, that I had a slight case of dyslexia. My mom says that she couldn't get me to read anything. And so I began to embrace that level. I thought growing up that I was dumb. Here's what's been fascinating. It's still something that rears its ugly head today. There are things that I unknowingly don't try to do because I don't want the feeling of feeling inadequate or dumb because it harkens me back to what I felt when I was a child. There are things that I will engage in or in group settings, and if somebody says something, I will have an over-emotional reaction to something that's minor, which is a tell, by the way, that whatever is taking place actually is probably rooted in something in my past to which is still playing a part in my present. And so even though I've worked through that in so many areas, it still comes up from time to time, and I know that you have some of those things in your life as well. See, oftentimes, labels are given to us based on what other people have done, but if you've lived life a little while, they may be labels that we have kind of put on ourselves because of a habit or a routine. Uh, The Bible would call those things uh, sins, uh, something that you do on a regular basis and then you begin to embrace that as part of your identity. So maybe you think to yourself or you've been told that you're a liar. Not someone who lies, but a liar because you just habitually started getting into that behavior. Maybe a bully, an abuser. Maybe you're titled an addict. right? You went through a season in your life and you were labeled that or a thief or someone who's divorced, and that's the scarlet letter as you talk to people. You're like, man, it just seems to be this label that either it's happened to me or that I did somebody else that I am wearing. And maybe it's been true for a period of time in our lives, and this is where we have a hard time getting past these labels that bind. But I need you to hear this today, is that our biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. No matter how big they are. Yeah, we can clap on that. We can get excited about that. There's going to be some exciting news for you today. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, which is awesome. To forgive, God says, he forgets. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. We confess. To confess means I agree with you, God, that what I have done habitually or otherwise is true. And then it says, though, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To clean us. It's like taking a dirty shirt, putting bleach on it, put it in the wash, and it comes out clean. That's what God does with us. I want you to hear this because this this statement may be so countercultural, especially today, that you need to believe this. You and I are not defined by what we have done, but by what he has done. And that is completely counterculture. We live in a gotcha culture where they just can't wait to catch you, to catch me, in something that we say, in something that we do, in order to label us call names, cancel, or find ourselves in trouble. For those of you who are older than about 30, aren't you glad they didn't have cell phones when we grew up? Because that would still be labeled to today. And this is what we find, is that people can't wait to get you, to catch you, and to be able to say, look, see, look at how bad, and that label, and that name calling starts all over again. But that's not how God Sees us. Now I'm gonna date myself just a little bit. How many guys have ever seen this before? All right. Uh, some of you guys is like, is that a, is that an iPad? No, uh, no, no. It's called an etch a sketch. You know, and it is so um, terrible uh, that I'm I even drawing on it right now. You can't read it or see it from where you're at. So there are words and different things that are on here, you know, even right now uh, that you can't see. But here's what's the coolest part about the etch a sketch it was so revolutionary because they said it's magic. And so all of these things you could do on it, but then at the end, all you had to do was do this, and it would actually all go away. It was magic. You're like, this is the coolest invention ever. And some of you guys are like, it's called the delete on my computer. But yeah, for the rest of us, I mean, this was actually such a cool thing to be able to use. And this is what God does. We might hold on to things. We might remember things. We might embrace things. And other people might remind us of things. But God makes us clean in him. Let me prove it to you. In Proverbs chapter 24, 16, this is God's view. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. See, the godly you're going to trip, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall, and you might get caught falling. But God says that doesn't define who you are. You are still godly, which is why you can look at somebody named David and say, look, look at you. David, you're a man after God's own heart. How is that possible? He committed adultery. He had the, per- the, the person he did it with covered up. He murdered that person. He you know, uh, was a liar, and all these things happened, and God still said, no, no, that's not how I see you. And that's what's a beautiful thing about this. See, what this is saying is that we can't change our past. We can't. But Christ can change our future by changing our present. See, what's true even now, there may be some things that are very true for you now, but Christ can change that so that it changes our present, thus changes our future. And I want to encourage you, there are three things that God wants to remind us today That is different than what you're going to hear outside these walls. And this is how he views us. This is how he sees us when we receive him based on what he has done. First thing is that God's going to give us a new name. Now, names have importance and meaning, especially in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever looked up the etymology or the the name, the meaning behind your name. Like, is Daniel means God is my judge, so you can't judge me. Only God can do it. So, God is my judge. Have you ever looked up, you know, the, your name and its meaning? Well, it had great significance, but here's the coolest thing about God. From time to time, he would change people's names based on their present circumstances, but more so based on their future. So, there's a guy by the name of Abram, which means father, and he says, you know what, your name is now Abraham, Because you're going to be father of many nations. And so he changes his name to embrace a new identity and a new reality. Uh, Jacob. I'm sorry for those who have the name Jacob. It means deceiver. Okay? That's what the name Jacob was. And God says, no, no, no. Your name now is Israel, which actually means God preserves or that God prevails. And so what a great new name. Uh, How about Sarai, which means argumentative, to Sarah, which means princess. Saul means prayed for, and then he got changed to Paul, which means small or humble. And then you've heard of a guy named Simon, which means he has heard to Peter, which means you are the rock. You see, in Christ, I don't know if you realize this, you're also getting a new name. When you get to heaven, God says, there is a new name that awaits us. And this is what he says in Revelation two seventeen To everyone who is victorious... I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved, don't miss this, a new name. That no one understands except the one who receives it. You have a name awaiting you in heaven that is truly how God sees you. How he defines you and the identity that he has placed on you. And you're going to get this white stone. You're going to turn it over and you're going to be like... Of course, that is who I am. And other people are going to look at it like, I don't get it. Like, you're not supposed to get it. This is who God has created me to be. This is how he sees me. Not only will he give us a new name, but he also gives us a new purpose. In Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, some of the labels that you have is based on the pain that somebody else has done to you in the past. But here's what I've seen over and over and over. God can even take that pain to which somebody else has done to you. As you go through healing, he then uses you to be there for other people who have gone through the same amount of pain. Some of you have suffered loss. The loss of a loved one, a spouse, a child. And as you've gone through that, God would then use you to help others who've also gone through that. Some of you have been addicts and you've walked through that season. We see it every single Monday night where God is healing you and then he uses you to help other people who are also going through the same struggles. God always works for the good, whether you've done it to yourself or whether other people have done to you. That's good news. So not only will he give us a new name, a new purpose, but he gives us a new future. This is what we're straining towards. This is why we're forgetting the past and moving ahead. This is the entire context of that powerful verse we're using this week and next week. Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This is what we talked about last week. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking toward the future of what lies ahead, I press on To reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul recognizes when he was Saul that he had some things he wasn't proud of in his past that were hindering his present and gonna hurt his future in Christ. And he says, I've gotta put those things to bed in order to embrace the present so that I can experience his future. But one of the things that happens to us, especially in our culture today, especially when things happen to us when we're younger, is that we begin to identify and embrace what's called a victim mentality. The victim mentality is, this has happened to me, and nothing's ever going to change that, and I'm just going to be that person, and I'm just going to live in that for the rest of my life, and that's just who I am, baloney. That does not have to be who you are. Christ wants to do something new in you and then through you in the lives of other people. Uh, Maybe you've heard uh, this story. Uh, As a man was passing a group of elephants in India, he suddenly stopped because he was confused by the fact that these huge creatures were being held by only a small rope tied to their front leg. No chains, no cages. It was obvious that these massive two-ton elephants could at any time, simply with a little bit of effort, break away from the bonds, but for some reason, they did not. So he saw a trainer nearby and asked why these animals just stood there and made zero attempt to get away. Well, the trainer said, when they're very young and much smaller, we use the same size rope. To tie them, and at that age, it's enough to hold them. As they grow up, they are conditioned to believe they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, so they never try to break free. This is where we find some of us today is that you have been conditioned. You still see yourself as that child, as that victim, as that person, based on what someone else or that you have done, and you don't think that you're strong enough to be something else, and maybe you're not, but you know who is Christ in you. That's who's strong enough to be able to unbind whatever it is that is holding you back based on the past to receive who you are in the present moving forward in the future. Uh, Sometimes we need to be reminded of this truth. Did you know that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future in Christ? Every saint. We read the Bible and we're like, oh my gosh, look at these men and women, these pillars of the faith. Do you realize they're a bunch of jacked up people just like you and me? The only difference is they have embraced who God says they are. They have embraced a new present and a new future. Let let me just remind you of some of the truths of some of these heroes of the faith. Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah had depression. And Zacchaeus cheated people. Can I go on? Every saint has a past. But every sinner has a future in Christ. One of the greatest examples of that part of the statement is a woman by the name of Rahab. Now, Rahab is mentioned eight times in our Bible. Six times she's been given a label. Rahab, the prostitute. Now, that'd be a fun label to carry your entire life. Now, Rahab was a prostitute at the time when the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea and were going into the promised land. And so they come across this major city called Jericho. And before they go to conquer the city, Joshua, who is the leader of the time, sends in a few spies to spy out the land. Well, people get word that there are spies there, and so they begin to flee, and they find themselves in Rahab's house, to which they ask, can you hide us, to which she does, and she deceives the people who are looking for these guys, and says, oh, they've gone in this direction, go find them. But then she asks them, because I've done this to you, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers, sisters, and all their families." To which they agree, yes, as long as they're with you in this house, in this location, when we conquer this city, your life will be spared. So she gets her family there. Many of you know the story. They march around the city once, one day. They do it seven days. On the seventh day, they march around Jericho seven times, and then the trumpets sound, and they give a great shout, and the walls literally collapse because of the miracle of God. All down, they come rushing in. They wipe out all the people except for Rahab. Because she embraced the present opportunity that God presented to her, which changed her family line forever. See, here's what we read about Rahab. She ends up in what's called the faith chapter of the heroes of the faith, of some of the people I've mentioned before. This is what it says in Hebrews 11 verse 31. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given friendly welcome to the spies. So she mentions that because of this faith that she had embraced, it was credited to her as a woman of faith. Better yet, she goes on a different trajectory. She leaves this life of sin, this label that had been put on her, that she rightly deserved because that's who she was, and she said, but my present and my future is going to be different. She marries a wonderful man, Man Salmon, and we have read about him in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Because Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So Rahab's mom and dad was Salmon and, uh, Boaz's mom and dad was Rahab and Salmon. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And the great, 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 great grandchild of David was Jesus Christ. Rahab's choice to embrace the present moment and opportunity to put the label that was upon her in the past change generationally the line to which Jesus himself comes from. That is amazing to be able to see what God can do. Isn't that amazing? Because every saint has a past, but every sinner has a, has a future in Christ Jesus. See, we are who God says we are. Not who we or others have said we are. That's who he says we are. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, you're a new person. Some of us need to embrace that. We need to hear that today. No, no, no. I'm new. The old life is gone. It is the past. And a new life has begun here in the present. So how do we receive this truth, especially if we have these triggers? Because all of us do, especially if we have these beliefs about ourselves that we have embraced, how do we begin to be set free from that? Let me give you a couple ways. Number one, find a word from God, a scripture that counteracts what you think you've been told or what you believe about yourself based on actually what God's word has to say. And what you do is you find something that God's word has to say that's different than what you believe about yourself, and you place it somewhere, and you say it out loud. There's something about our brains, you know, that we're in ruts, and when we begin to say things out loud, we begin to believe them because we're actually hearing them, maybe for some of us, for the first time. And you begin to embrace something new based on who you are now, not based on who you were. Uh, For some of you, you may just need to repent. Repent means just to admit and turn around from God to God that you've not received what God has said about you. Like, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I've not embraced who you said about me. Uh, Maybe some of you need to set boundaries. You know, those people that continue to point over and over and they never let you forget what you have done or who you you were, that you might need to set some boundaries with those people and maybe include some new people in your life people who know you as you really are, who want to encourage you to become who God wants you to be in a something place called a life group. It'll be, many of them will be kicking off in just a few weeks. Now, this is going to take time. I, 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 again, the things that we believe about ourselves isn't just going to go away with one scripture and one meeting. It's going to take time, but God wants to do this in your present so you can embrace him in the future. So here's my question as we close. What, is your, what in your past is hindering you or holding you back from embracing who you really are in Christ in the present. What is it that still has a hold on you that you need to let go so that you can press forward in him? Let's bring it to him now. Jesus, thank you so much for this day and for this opportunity, Lord, to be able to truly deal and bring up. And I know the conversation will continue. And I pray if there's anyone here who just needs to surrender this to you. Father, there's so many things that we have believed that are just are not true anymore about who we are. And I pray that we would just believe about what you say we are. And so, Father, I just thank you so much that your truth brings life and love and, Lord, a new path. Help us to embrace that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing a very powerful, and for some of you, a very familiar song that speaks exactly what we talked about in just a second. And when we do, I want to encourage some of you to head to the cross. Some of you just need to be prayed over. You know the lies that you have believed about who you are now based on who you used to be or what other people told you, and you need somebody to pray over you. But for others of you, you might need to say, you know, I'm going to embrace a new identity, which is to receive Christ and and then to be baptized. Baptism is another perfect example. It's the greatest etch-a-sketch. Right? It's a picture of your old self going down into quarters, these clean waters of baptism, and raised to walk and embrace a new life. But I really need you to embrace who God says you really are. And so as I go through this list, I pray that one would resonate with you, or at least with someone that you know, that you might be able to bring an encouragement Based on God's word, maybe for you, you have said or thought that you are unlovable, but God says you are forever loved. I say I am scarred, but God says I am healed. I say I am weak, but God says he makes me strong. I recognize I am a sinner, but God says I am forgiven. I was abandoned, but God says I am adopted. I say I am broken, but God says he makes me whole. I have been rejected, but God says I am His. I say I am alone, but God says He is always with me. I say I am hopeless, but God says because of Him, I am hopeful. I say I am purposeless, but God says I was created with purpose. I say I have failed, but God says I am victorious in Christ. I say I am lost, but God says He gives me direction. I say I am worried, anxious, or afraid, but God says with Him, I am peace-filled. I say I'm unhappy, but God says I am joyful and joy-filled. I say I'm afraid, but God says I am powerful, loved, and have a sound mind. I say I am nothing special, but God says I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I say I am worthless, but God says Jesus died because I am worth it. Will you stand with me as we sing this song together?